uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for all the people that's listening and chiming in. You didn't have to do it, but you did it anyway. So I appreciate you doing that. Hopefully that way, if we can learn how to agree to disagree, and we can live like people. When I make the hard topics, I say the hard things, I make the thing itch scratch. So if your itch is not scratching, and you're scratching on the itch, maybe you need to look yourself in the mirror. So I'm not here for no drama. I'm not here for no nothing. Just to learn, 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 and edify. This is from learning situations only. So I'm not here to get anybody's hairs up. So, again, thank you. And hopefully we can agree to disagree. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about where we're coming before we get lost? Let me up Moments ago, six former Mississippi police officers head back in court. They've already pleaded guilty to federal charges of torturing two black men. Well, now they are staring down state charges. Prosecutors say the suspects, all of whom are white, called themselves the goon squad because of the excessive force that they've used. Okay, this has been heart-wrenching for those victims. They, for quite some time, have been trying to get anyone to listen to them about what they experienced on that night. Two hour, two hours of torture. When you think about having oil spilled on your body, eggs thrown at you while you recall the N-word over and over. For quite some time, these men were trying to get someone to pay attention. Now look, this is the first time we've actually seen these men in court because that first case was a federal trial. And as you know, can't get cameras in there, but this is a state court case. They call themselves the Goon Squad, and it was their job to go out and dispense justice the way they wanted to. In fact, at one point, they even tried to sexually assault these men, and they used their tasers over and over again to see who had the most powerful taser. I crawled here to this spot, and they, uh, they uh, started uh, beating me here and tasing me. As you can see, you know, blood spots now, and my blood spots there. That was Eddie Parker and Michael Jenkins. When you think about Michael Jenkins, at one point, one of these officers who's admitted to this took out a gun and they believed they had cleared the gun. They put it in his mouth and they pulled the trigger. He cleared the gun again and put it back in his mouth and pulled the trigger. At that point, it shot through his tongue and exited his neck. That's why he has trouble talking to this day. He'll be dealing with this for the rest of his life. In June, by a police officer, he stopped me 
on 50th and Lincoln for no reason whatsoever, pulled me over and fumbled me and did certain things to me. I was out there alone and helpless, didn't know what to do. And in my mind, all I could think that he was going to shoot me, he was going to kill me. He did things to me that I didn't think a police officer would do. He made me perform all of sodomy sex on him. I didn't know what to do. I was so afraid. I was afraid for my life. I kept begging him, sir, please don't make me do this. Don't make me do this, sir. Please, you're going to shoot me. He said, I'm not going to shoot you. I said, yeah, you're going to shoot me. The only thing I could see was my life flash before my eyes and the gun on and his holster on his right side. And as I tried to look up at his name, I was afraid to because I said, if I know his name, I know he's going to kill me. So that I didn't do. President Biden announcing that he plans to ask Congress for money as COVID cases are on the rise. Once again, the wave comes as kids head back to the classroom. Some schools are already returning to pandemic era restrictions like remote learning and mask mandates. Yes, I can. Matter of fact, I signed off this morning on a proposal to present to the Congress a request for additional funding for the new vaccine that is necessary that works. Tentatively, I've decided finally. Tentatively decided to recommend everyone get the new vaccine. When is he going to decide finally? So I think you've heard from the FDA and CDC. Uh, they've made an announcement on the new vaccine. Uh, so certainly uh, they said that they will have an, there'll be an updated vaccine September, mid-September, I believe. So uh, we know that, as you all know, vaccinations against COVID-19 remains the safest protection for avoiding hospitalization, long-term health outcomes and death, which is why we are, we are going to be encouraging uh, Americans to stay up to date on their vaccines. I would refer you to DHS as they have, as you, I just mentioned, FDA and, and CDC uh, mentioned that they'll have uh, the new vaccines by, uh, uh, September, mid-September. Why is it that the press, let me ask you this, why is it that the press, that not BBC or any of the press, you, you know, you're, we're doing your science over here, CDC's budget science. Why is it that you're not covering the fact that the senior scientist at CDC, he's currently at CDC, a 19-year veteran, Dr. Bill Thompson, the author of the three principal studies that are the bedrock foundation for the assertion that thimerosal does not make kids sick or it doesn't give them autism he's now come forward hired the best whistleblower attorney in the country he's still at cdc and he's saying we lied about all of our science so how is it that these 350 organizations can say it's unequivocally safe Where's their science? So what do you think is happening there? Because these are these are doctors, these are community health doctors. Doctors are not, they're just uh, they're doc, lying. No, they, doctors are not scientists. Doctors they know if they tell me a scientist you know, there are scientists in there as well. Well yeah, but if, but if that, that's an argument by credential. Okay, see what CDC says is science, or what a scientist says is science is what not about science. The, the World Health Organization, uh, British scientists, Indian scientists. Do you understand that? 
It's not science. Science is paper, research papers that are published on PubMed, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them that say that Americans are unsafe, and there's not a single study that says that Americans are safe. And these 350 organizations, I'm now giving them a huge opportunity because probably a lot of them could use $100,000. So if they're not just talking out of their hat, they should show you the study. And and guess what? If you beat them to the mailbox and send it to me, you're going to get the $100,000. So instead of asking me, you know, why would these guys lie? Just, I mean, I don't know. I can speculate. But all I, I think that they everyone don't, would have to be lying, wouldn't they? I mean, no, 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 no. This is what is an orthodoxy. It's mm-hmm. just the same thing that happened at the Catholic Church during the pedophile scandal. It was a small number of priests who were actually part of the, you know, who were raping children. But everybody got subsumed in it. The bishops, the Vatican, the press, the prosecutors, the public. Everybody and anybody who questioned, they, they became convinced that the institution was more important than the children it was supposed to protect. And they said, we have to make these sacrifices for the vaccine program. And what I'm saying is, look at the science. If I'm wrong about the science, then somebody can collect $100,000. If any people in that, I'm putting my mouth, my mind where my mouth is. If somebody in those 350 organizations who just said, you know, that they are, uh, that they're completely safe, there's no problem. All they have to do is come forward with one study that supports that, and I will write them a $100,000 check. They won't be able to do it because it doesn't exist. But they've said that they've already done that. And, you know, well, then, but I'm saying then show it to me. I'm not, I, journalist, you know what, people in, in this, what journalists are supposed to learn their first year of journalism school. People in power lie. People in authority lie. Some of them don't know they're lying. Some of them are just repeating what they've heard. They repeat the orthodoxy, the institutional culture. And everybody believes you've got to support the vaccine program no matter what. And anybody who asks questions about it has to be suppressed. They have to be, it's orthodox. You have to burn people who ask questions as heretics. Well, what I'm saying is what they said, this is religion, it's not science. What I'm saying is, let's look at real science. Let's let's find me the paper that says it's safe, and then I'll believe it. But I don't believe government officials, and I don't believe, you know, I have to be skeptical, and we all ought to be skeptical. Why is it the press? I asked the question, who are the real children of Israel, and I'd like to answer it right away. Go ahead, you minister. Like any good lawyer in a courtroom, <laughs> he tells you what he's going to prove. All right. And then he goes ahead and proves it and let the jury make the decision. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad has said that Almighty God Allah revealed to him that the black people of America are the real children of Israel. the choice of God and that unto us he will deliver his promise hey uh. (laughs) y'all 
episode of Let's Analyze. Rabbi explains circumcision to the boys. This is how, if I'm not mistaken, y'all, y'all gonna listen to it. Um, the rabbi, when they circumcising a little boy, they, the foreskin is cut off and then they suck their penises. The little children, boys' penises with their mouth. Let's check it out and see. Yeridea, that's the second section of the uh, four sections of Halacha called the Shulchan Aruch, the set table, in uh, chapter 266, uh, Halacha 3, 4, 5, and 6, he describes how the circumcision is to be done. This is after the cutting. The Mohel does what is called Mitzitza, and Mitzitza means to suck, and it means doing so with his mouth. And one can say, well, why can't you use a tube? Well, you could. But that's not the custom as to why, how it was done. Now, why is it that way? Well, you say that the old days you didn't have tubes. Now you can have tubes, so why not? The answer... He said they're not the custom. You see what I'm saying? I ain't want... I had to stop it there. He said that's not the custom. Because in old days, they used this and that. So what did they use... In other... In other... In other lands? other nations what did they use to circumcise their boys other than sucking their penis so these people are calling themselves the true children of God Jewish and this is their custom hmm let's analyze I thought about it is that it's not as effective because the tube does not seal as well it's not as pliable and Furthermore, it's not as quick and it's not as close. You have to have a quick suction action. You have to have more pliability. And also, there's a theory, some people feel that it is, some people feel that it's not, that the saliva of a human being has some antiseptic qualities. And it's actually brought in the halacha of the Talmud that uh, the saliva of certain people were actually used as curatives. And so saliva is not a bad thing. Saliva has elements of cleaning of, of antiseptic elements within it and and the other part of it is is that is that the suction process of the mouth is quicker more pliable and it does and it's and, and it's more exact and, and works much better in your day so he trying to get an example why it's good to get your little children a blowjob during circumcision you know only wicked people always doing that. Oh, oh, the priest going, hey, son, you're going to get your penis sucked today. You're going to get your first blowjob from the priest. And maybe he'll put some saliva on it and that. Man, what kind of pedophilia stuff like this? Mm. Let's analyze into freakout mode over the weekend. I spoke to sources in Washington who told me this is no joke. This is a major emergency. Africa, countries rising up saying, get the heck out of our countries. Stop stealing our minerals. If you're an investor, this could be an amazing moment. I'll show you more about that in just a moment. But first, many of our Western leaders are freaking out because stuff is about to hit the fan. The dominoes are starting to fall. This weekend, we saw dramatic developments all across Africa. Russian flags being raised in the air throughout the continent. First, to Niger, the country that started it all. Russian flags everywhere. And according to France 24 News Service, 
The government of Niger has, Niger has entered the point of no return. The people rising up against French and United States influence. The Western powers that have controlled Niger for decades are being pushed out. And this weekend, the military leaders now say that Niger will no longer be a European colony. We're done with that. And they've demanded that all French soldiers and any United States influence get out now or face the consequences. Tens of thousands of people marched in Niger this weekend celebrating their independence and shouting no to foreign military bases, no to poverty, no to the West stealing their uranium, their phosphate, their gold and other minerals. Get out now. Other African nations now showing their support for Niger and starting to say the very same thing. Get out of our country. This weekend, the people in Senegal rising up against Western colonial governments controlling their country. Yes, the CIA, MI6, other Western intelligence services are doing whatever they can right now to hold on to power in these countries with their puppet governments. That's why you saw crazy Victoria Nuland, who of course helped create the coup and the overthrow of the Ukrainian government, is now running into crazy mode trying to see what she can do in Africa. Colonel Douglas McGregor says the people who've had their minerals stolen for years in that country are saying, enough is enough, get out of my country. The Africans are, are fed up with it. And so this is an example in Niger where a, a supposedly U.S.-backed government with a U.S.-trained military suddenly turned around and said, I think all of you white people need to get out of here. We've had it with you. Go away. Go, Europeans leave. Again, we'll get to the uranium and the gold part of this story in a minute, which is arguably the most important part of this story, especially if you're an investor. But first, the story that no one's talking about is the massive natural gas pipeline that is nearly set to go online. Now, it starts in Nigeria and it flows up through Niger on its way into Europe. Chevron and the United States have already invested $13 billion into this. And after the Nord Stream pipeline destruction, Chevron stepped up production to get this pipeline up and running. And now the people of Niger are saying, wait a second, why are we going to allow a pipeline to flow right through our own country into Europe? You are doing nothing for us and yet you continue to steal from us. So sorry, no more pipeline. This is why Europe is terrified this morning. And it was always going to be a very cold and dreary winter because of the natural gas destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline. This winter could be even worse now if this pipeline is not allowed to go into action in Africa. Niger is saying, sorry, you're not going to use our country to transport your natural gas into Europe. Get out of here. Get out now. Europe is facing catastrophe with no Nord Stream pipeline coming from Russia. The African pipeline was their salvation and then add into it uranium and Europe's nuclear power. The United States gets over 50% of its uranium from Russia, despite all the sanctions of the United States has placed on Russia. They left uranium off the list. Why? Because the United States is so heavily dependent on Russia for uranium that Putin could literally flip the switch and literally destroy the American economy by turning off the lights. Think about that for a minute. They sanctioned the hell out of Russia for everything else but, oh, we need your uranium, so we won't sanction that. Just keep sending it to us. They could turn off the lights with a flip of a switch. And now Niger, the French, the United States, have essentially been stealing uranium from these African countries for decades. And again, these countries are saying enough is enough. We are sovereign countries here in Niger, in Senegal, and in Guinea. And we are going to keep our own minerals, make our own decisions. And Russia is giving them that option. They had the big African summit in St. Petersburg last week. And Vladimir Putin and Russia said, we want you to keep your own sovereignty. Oh, and by the way, we are also going to wipe away all of the debt that you owe us. 
billions of dollars wiped away. Think about that for a second. We're not going to steal from you. You can have your sovereignty and we're going to wipe away your debt. Sounds like an attractive proposition for some of these countries, right? Not a slave to the West any longer. Listen to RT's Africa Bureau Chief Musa Ibrahim explain how the people of Africa want to gain back their wealth, their minerals, stop giving it away to America and Europe. What people want is to gain back their wealth, the, back their uranium, their gold, their iron, their uh, phosphate, their oil, their gas. And this scares the West because this means the true democracy will take place in Africa when people actually own their own land and the wealth of Africa does not go untaxed, unsupervised from the mines in Niger to the banks uh, of Paris and the financial sector in Britain. He's right. Niger's coup isn't a singular event, but it's actually a larger narrative right now and a pushback against Western neocolonialism. Africans seeking to regain their national sovereignty. Yes, they might be independent, but with a U.S. military base and French military bases here stealing all of our minerals, how exactly are we sovereign? Imagine if China did that to the United States. Oh yeah, we're America, we're a sovereign nation. But here's Russia and China literally building military bases in our own country. Would we stand for it? No. Africa saying, hey, we are rich in uranium, but we don't get to benefit from the wealth of this mineral because you steal it from us. So guess what? We are going to enrich our own uranium, and then we'll sell it to you, and you'll pay us a fair market price for it, which is tied directly to the volatility of uranium right now. You could make a lot of money paying attention to what I'm about to teach you, okay? The company's name is Traction Uranium. Their ticker symbol is here on your screen. Now, please pay attention. Why? And the reason I'm releasing this video today is because the potentially undervalued price of this company. Now, as we record this video, the last time this company's stock was this cheap, it went up 123% in just two months, actually five weeks, okay? In that amount of time, when it was this cheap, it went up 123% in about five weeks. Here's their ticker symbol on your screen, write this down. So as of this recording, Traction Uranium in Canada is in one of the safest mining jurisdictions in the world, far away from what's happening in Africa. The stock price as of this recording, as of this morning, is 24 cents a share. Now, the last time the stock was this cheap, it more than doubled in price within less than two months because of a huge discovery of uranium right next door to their project. Think about that for a second. It, it's so crazy because it wasn't even this company, Traction, that made the discovery. What's crazy is the company that made the discovery was adjacent to this company. That's how hot this area is in Canada, this basin that we're talking about. Now, the stock surged 123% on our uranium discovery that was next door to them in the neighbor's backyard. That's why I'm telling you about this right now, because they, Traction Uranium, are about to commence upon their own drilling program. And then in the weeks ahead, drilling results will start to flow in. And you guys know that I'd love to invest before they announce drilling results, because that's when we you know, historically see massive growth once they announce drilling results. Again, I always like to invest before a company announces drilling results, right? That's where we can see these huge 123% spikes. That's the biggest upside. So let me tell you exactly where Traction Uranium operates. They operate in one of the highest grade uranium deposit zones in the world. This is the Athabasca Basin in Canada. Now, if you've been watching my show for any length of time, you should already know all about the Athabasca Basin. Again, it has the highest grade uranium in the world, far superior to the uranium that is pulled out of the ground in Niger far superior to the uranium that's pulled out of the ground in Russia, 
far superior to any uranium deposits ever discovered anywhere else in the world. That's not hyperbole. You can look at the data yourself. If Russia decides to turn off the uranium exports to the United States, North America could have lights out all over the place. How much of our dependency comes from Russia? So the demand for North American produced uranium right now is off the charts. That's why you have both Democrats and Republicans in the United States Congress saying, hey, wait a second. Why is our entire nuclear infrastructure almost entirely reliant on Russia? We need to make a change. And at the same time, you see why the United States is so panicked right now about Niger and Africa. Because you got stuff we're paying for from Russia, and then we have the stuff we're stealing from Africa. We will need to rely on our own minerals productions in North America. And what's stunning, actually, in North America, in the United States specifically, fewer than 300 people work in the uranium industry in the United States. Can you wrap your heads around that? fewer than 300 people. That's because the Obama administration put the clamp down on pulling any sort of uranium minerals out of the ground in North America and specifically the United States. So we are way behind. And now we will absolutely need to ramp up production immediately. So keep in mind, prices have more than doubled since the lows of uranium. The world is running a giant deficit as it is right now in uranium. We need it. If you've been watching my channel for any length of time, you know that I always want to give you these companies so that you can go out and do your own due diligence on them before they announce drilling results. You can start to understand exactly what their drilling programs are. And then sometime in the next few weeks when they announce drilling results, we could see a huge surge in price. I'm not saying that's going to happen. No one has a crystal ball. But if they announce that they have a great uh, a great vein of uranium that they've discovered, what do you think is going to happen to that 24 cents uh, share price? Who knows? But I have an idea. That's why I'm incredibly bullish on this company. And because they are a junior mining company with 80% insider and institutional ownership, if they come back with fantastic drilling results, they could be ripe for a buyout, which is another reason why I want to invest in this company. I'm always looking for a buyout target. And that's a, certainly a nice exit if you're an investor. If you've got a multi-billion dollar uranium company and they see small traction uranium just hit a major uh, major patch of uranium in their drilling results, you might consider buying them out. The bottom line is we need these minerals producers to be successful. If we want to take a stand against Russian dominance, we cannot rely on Russian oil, Russian uranium, or stealing minerals from Africa anymore. You see where this has gotten us? We need to be self-sufficient. Now, guys, many of you have emailed me over the past few weeks telling me that you've made a lot of money investing in the companies that we feature here on the show. That's great. I love that. But you don't have to thank me. I'm just bringing you these companies that I'm investing in after the research that I do, which is a lot of research. And then you're the ones doing your own research. You're confirming what I'm telling you here. You're doing your own due diligence. So good for you. You're taking the initiative. And if you like what you see, you buy a few shares, right? It's 24 cents a share right now. So you can pick up a lot of shares for less than you can buy like a, a box of fries and a cheeseburger these days. So do your own due diligence on this company. Here is the ticker again on your screen. I'll have a link to their latest uranium report and their drilling projects in the description below. Go and do your own research on for more on this story, let's bring in Paul Melli, a consulting fellow of the Africa program at Chatham House. Uh, thanks for being with us again here on France 24. You know, you and I spoke not long ago about the military coup in yeah. Niger. Are the events we're seeing unfold in Gabon different in any important way? I mean, how should we be thinking about this? I think they are really different. Uh, one of the things that's very striking in Gabon is this is a long-standing family dynasty as your report just explained. And for many Gabonese, there was a frustration, a sense that although elections were held regularly, 
basically the result was prefixed in advance. Uh, they didn't really have a political choice. They had the freedom to speak out. They had the freedom to comment. They had a choice of political parties, but they couldn't actually really change their government, change the people who ruled them. And so a small elite, the Bongo family, and a sort of wider political and administrative class around them have monopolized uh, not just the leadership of the country, but if you like, um, the way resources are distributed over many, many decades. We'd, that's a very different situation from Niger, where um, the, the president who's been deposed, Mohamed Bazoum, was only elected for the first time in 2021. And his party, um, because he succeeded someone from the same party, hadn't come to power till 2011. So it's a very, very different type of situation. As we just saw there in that report, we were seeing these images of people celebrating in, in Libreville. I wonder what you make of that. Are, are people celebrating because they perceive this as the end of a corrupt family dynasty, as you just made reference to? Well, I think it's whether it, whether it's corrupt, fully corrupt. Of course, we will wait to learn from the investigations and uh, information, sort of full revelation about exactly how the system was organized. But the, but the point is the system had become tired. Not only did Ali Bongo's father, Omar Bongo, rule for more than four decades, but then in 2009, when, when Omar Bongo died and there was an election, um, Ali Bongo emerged as the winner from that election in very opaque circumstances. Many people actually think that the main rival candidate had actually won. Then in 2016, there was another election uh, where, again, there was a lot of opacity or a lot of questions over the credibility of the result. And then again, uh, the election whose results were announced uh, in the very early hours of yesterday morning, a very strange time to announce an election result. Again, that there were big questions over the conduct of that poll. So people sort of feel tired. They felt they didn't have much choice and they felt that Ali Bongo had already served 14 years in power, two seven-year terms. He'd suffered a stroke, so uh, a major health problem in 2018. And many people wondered, was it reasonable that he should be running for a third term? Why, why couldn't they have an alternative choice, a wider sort of meaningful prospect of change. Of course, there were, were opposition candidates and there was um, one leading opposition candidate who got 30% of the, in, according to those official results, but nobody ever seriously thought that he would be allowed to win. So I think people were just sort of tired by the system and felt that um, Gabon with its rich natural resources, its oil, um, its uh, other, its minerals, its rich rainforest, uh, ought to be able to deliver a better development result for the population. Right, as you point out, Gabon is an oil-rich country. Is there a sense that that prosperity has not been passed down to everyday people who, who've been living under the rule of the Bongo family for more than five decades? Uh, yes, there's, there's a lot of social inequality. There's a feeling that uh, essentially it's not just the Bongo family, but the wider elite class were very well looked after, if you like, by the regime. But ordinary people did not get the level of public services or the level of income that they could reasonably have expected. 
Gabon has a very small population, uh, only one or two million, um, and yet there are serious social problems, there are serious development shortcomings. Um, one of the major development agencies a few years ago produced a report which assessed that relative to the resources available, Gabon had one of the worst development returns of any country in Africa. And uh, so that's where people feel that there were missed opportunities, that the system could have been run so much better. Of course, in any society, you'll have inequality, but there was a feeling that um, the development return for ordinary Gabonese and for the very large migrant population in Gabon was not as good as it could have been given the resources that the country has. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Paul Malik. These streets keep calling me. They don't want me to leave the light behind. Staring at stars, wishing I had time. But my kids need food and my girl needs me. Sometimes I dream that I'm finally free So baby, don't play me, I ain't no toy I'm a prisoner here, but I still make noise And I'm a shout that I'm body with all my voice I'm a street kid now, but one day I'll be an island boy I'm just trying to make it, I'm an island boy Island boy, I'm an island boy To experiment with nature. Here's the latest one. In Florida, 12,000 genetically modified mosquitoes, the first such kind, will be released in open air for the next 12 weeks by autumn. This number is expected to reach 20 million. 20 million genetically engineered mosquitoes. What will they do? Scientists say these artificial insects will help prevent dengue and Zika. But the residents of Florida fear a mosquito apocalypse. Here's a report. Dengue, chikungunya and Zika. They all come from the same family of viruses. They are transmitted by the Aedes aegypti mosquitoes. This species is found both in tropical and temperate climates, invading the Americas, even Europe. Now a biotech firm has released a genetically engineered version of the Aedes aegypti in Florida. What for? To suppress the growing population of these deadly mosquitoes. Oxitec, a UK-based firm, is behind this technology. It has previously field-tested the insects in Brazil, Panama, Malaysia and the Cayman Islands. But until now, no genetically engineered mosquito has been trialed in the United States largely due to pushback from American activists. Now, with an alarming rise of mosquito-borne diseases in Florida, local authorities have been forced to take this controversial step. Here's what the artificial mosquitoes will do. The males, which don't bite, will be released in the wild to mate with the female population. The female Aedes aegypti are responsible for biting prey and transmitting the disease. The genetically engineered males carry a gene that will pass to the offspring and kill female progeny in the early stages. 
The male offspring will not die but will become carriers of the genes and pass it to future generations. As lesser females are born, the Aedes aegypti population will dwindle. So how many bioengineered mosquitoes will be released? Around 12,000 males will exit their boxes over the next 12 weeks. And in the second half of 2021, 20 million mosquitoes will emerge over a period of 16 weeks. The mosquitoes carry a fluorescent marker gene which makes them glow, which in return makes identification and monitoring the trial easier for researchers. This step may have been taken to prevent the spread of diseases, but the residents of Florida are not too impressed. Many are worried that the mosquitoes will disrupt Florida's ecosystem. Some others fear that gene editing technology could turn haywire and turn the mosquitoes against humans. Scientists say that these mosquitoes pose no such risks. We expect the potential good to outweigh the potential bad. But this show sounds like the beginning of a bad science fiction for Twix. Breaking news is that there is a cold war between the youngest president in Africa, Ibrahim Traoré, and the most educated president in Africa, President William Ruto. On this video, I will take you through every detail on what is happening between these two African giants. Many have seen this war, but they haven't taken it serious just because right now ECOWAS has the final say on what is happening on the West African countries. And if you may allow me say this, ECOWAS commissioner has already given a statement that they are ready to invade Niger anytime from now. While on the other hand, a group of locals in Niger's capital, Niamey, have vowed to recruit tens of thousands of volunteers to fight alongside the Nigerian army in defense of their country against the backdrop of impending Western-backed ECOWAS military intervention. Residents spoke out openly in support of the recruitment, which is already underway, with thousands signing up. Mothers and fathers vow to do whatever they can to support the country's military in what they call the real fight for our freedom. One woman said, I will pray for our soldiers. I will cook for them. I will give up my children. And if I have to fight, I don't mind. Our country must be free. And this is why I said earlier that the worst kind of war to engage in is one in which the citizens are the army. How do you fight and win this war? If the aim isn't to ignite the entire region and set it on fire, we wouldn't be talking about war here because I see another Ukraine brewing on the West African coast. But unlike Ukraine, where citizens ram from recruiters and escape the country rather than volunteer to fight, maybe because they know it's a proxy war, the Nigerians aren't running away. They're staying back to fight and defend their country. And they have support not just from Mali and Burkina Faso, but from places many people will not believe until the actual war starts. Trust me, if this war ever happens, it'll be the biggest thing that's ever happened on the continent of Africa because it holds the key to the liberation of the entire continent. And this is why I think that the African countries on the side of the West must think twice before embarking on this potentially ill-fated voyage. I know what I'm talking about. There isn't going to be another Libya on the continent of Africa. You can take that to the bank and cash it. And if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what will. Let's leave that aside and let me dive into the topic of today. What is happening between Ibrahim Traor and President William Ruto? It's not a long story. Please let me explain. My name is Ontita Brandon. And welcome back to Teens Republic, the life-to-life -life educative channel. Before we continue, please subscribe to this channel. 
We promise you will have the best videos for you to watch and learn. 35-year-old President Ibrahim Traore of Burkina Faso has called for African countries to put their energy on developing themselves. In a report that has been shared by a reliable source of information, it has been reported that young president has stated that as long as there is no development in a country, youths will always leave the country in search of greener pastures. This is happening at the same time when it has been reported that President Treor has stated that any military intervention in Niger by another country is going to be taken as a declaration of war against his country. Several sources have confirmed that the president said this amid claims that France was planning a military intervention in Niger to restore ousted President Mohamed Bazoum back as the president of Niger. Speaking about this, President Traor has stated that any attempt by any country to conduct such an operation is going to be dealt with by his government. They will respond by force. This is happening at the same time when President William Ruto of Kenya has stated that his country, Kenya, is going to support any decision taken by ECOWAS in attempts to restore ousted President Mohamed back to his seat. President William Ruto has also stated that Kenya is against coup in Africa, adding that coups takes countries back to the old days where there was no democracy. Above all, this means that if President William Ruto will dare to touch Niger, he will touch Ibrahim Traor. Anyways, I don't know what you think about all this. Give us your thoughts on the comment section below. C'est fair. C'est fair. Ruto, Kenya, you know, he working with the United States, y'all. And you know the United States don't mean no good. And he just a handkerchief negro. This is what a handkerchief negro worked in Africa, y'all. And the ones in Kenya and the ones that fight behind him, you know you're going to lose an unholy battle, right? You're going to lose your life. You're going to lose your position. You're going to lose your family all over his nonsense. Because the earth is given to the hands of the wicked. And the wicked got people working from under him. And, then, and, and, and if he's wicked, all the wicked people will will bow down in blood according to the Bible and scriptures. And now you behind wickedness and and why can I say his wickedness? Why would I as a, a man of you want order in my country and not my, my country being raped by another nation? And you see all the people is going against Niger, you know these puppets, they are puppets y'all and you got people and Africa running behind these people that is not doing the right thing. And if you're not doing, if they're not doing the right thing and you running behind them because they preaching you some old undercover narrative because they said this dude was smart, Ruto. If Ruto was so smart, y'all, why is Africa is not in a position of success? Why is Kenya not in a position of success? You know, these, these are the crafty councils that they put their house Negro up in here to act like they got a little clout. This is a part of the house Negro episode, Africa. And this is what house Negroes work and house Negroes do. That's what they do. So if y'all going behind this man right here, running behind him in the name of, you got everybody in this country of Africa tired of the, the oppression, 
Because the Bible said oppression make a wise man mad, but a gift destroys the heart. So what do that mean? What do that mean? Everybody got these get these good jobs and good positions, so they 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 values and the way they look at things have changed. Just like us common man, we ain't got nothing. Oppression. Trying to trying to, every time we get up on the fourth floor, there's always something bring us back down to the first floor. And we gotta continue rising and rising until we can't rise no more, and then we got by the ball. We can't be our own man. Now, y'all running behind this dude right here. I'm telling y'all. Y'all running behind these dudes that's going against the grain. It ain't no, it ain't gonna be good for y'all. It ain't gonna be good for y'all. Let's analyze. Unconstitutional imposition of the will of any government of whatever nature on the people without their consent is wrong the same way colonialism was wrong and that can uh, africa can only proceed into the future if we allow the people of our countries and of our continent to determine their destiny and to choose their leaders in democratic means, using democratic means. The way you do here in Mozambique and the way we do in Kenya and the way it, it is done in many parts of our continent. And therefore, as a union in the Africa Union, we are against any undemocratic removal of any government. Coups are not a panacea, they are not a solution to the challenges that we have as a continent. They are as undemocratic as the colonial masters. As far as I'm concerned, since we met you people 500 years ago, look at us. We've given everything. You are still taking. It's true. I mean, where will the whole Western world be without be without Africa? Our cocoa, our timber, our gold, our diamonds, our platinum, our whatever. Everything you are is us. I am not saying it, it's a fact. And and in, in return for all of this, what have we got? Nothing. Anti-personnel indoctrination against ourselves. If you go and cook your horrible diseases like AIDS, you say it is us. You brought us tuberculosis. We didn't have this big cough until white people came here. In exchange for, in exchange for Africa giving Europe 500 solid years of our people, I mean, not Europe, the Western world, of our human beings to work your canes, to dig your gold, to take in gold itself, diamond, I mean, you know, fish, peanuts, palm oil, everything. In exchange for that, we have got nothing, nothing. 
and you know it nothing and you look upon you know white folks look upon us like monkeys it is true it's in your literature hey you know some of your best thinkers have said this about us have you heard of the I mean all these germans have you heard okay. yes <clears throat> they said lord most of the world's poorest people are africans and increasing wealth has brought rising inequality both between and within nations for example much of nigeria is thriving with many individuals enjoying the fruits of a resurgent economy yet 87 million nigerians live on less than $1.90 a day making it home to more very poor people than any other nation in the world most of the world's poorest people are africans and increasing wealth has brought the new complex has the highest tactical and technical characteristics and is capable of overcoming all modern means of anti-missile defense it has no analogs in the world and won't have for a long time to come in other words nothing can stop it and nothing can come close oh good so why don't we keep poking the bear president biden the reason the united states is so desperate though is because the us economy and the us dollar the us dollar which of course is losing favor around the world to settle oil transactions as the world's reserve currency it's slipping away beneath their feet right now there's no better indicator of this than in africa over the past few weeks we've seen four different military coups ousting their leaders who have been in bed with western countries for decades another african leader toppled by the army whose turn will it be next the united states and france have been stealing africa's resources for decades keeping these countries in a permanent state of poverty we've been stealing their manganese their gold their silver their uranium their lithium their oil these african countries are saying enough is enough what people want is to gain back their wealth the back their uranium their gold their iron their phosphate their oil their gas and this scares the west I mean, look at niger which told the french to get out of our country stop stealing our resources and the french got so pissed this week that they decided to smash all of the trucks that they had there at their mines so we're going to leave yeah fine we'll leave all the mines alone but we're going to smash all the trucks on the way out can you believe these guys and then last week the country of gabon did the same thing France and the United States are in a panic mode right now. Victoria Newland from the United States went to Africa in a panic mode. And according to the Gray Zone, people who attended the meetings had never seen her so desperate. Why? Why is she so desperate? Because Vladimir Putin just welcomed these African nations into a new friendship and so did China, where they can keep their own minerals, they can keep their own sovereignty, make partnerships that benefit those countries. Oh, they know they're needling the West. The West can't let this happen. They can't let Russia and China create these friendships and these partnerships. And today Moscow is warning NATO back off or else. Russia's UN envoy Dmitry Polyansky says NATO's involvement in Ukraine has created a big risk of a direct clash between Russia and the West. He also said something very interesting. He said they've been hearing radio messages and transmissions that a number of NATO members, generals and soldiers have been killed in Ukraine. So something really fishy is going on guys. Why is NATO leaking information about the deaths of their generals and soldiers being killed in fighting with Russia? They're not even supposed to be there. They know Russia is listening. They know this information is getting out. You don't do that unless you want to use it for some big purpose. Something big is happening and I'm really scared as to what comes next. So get ready.
That's the news update part of today's video. Now I want to tell you about today's sponsor, which is tied directly to this global 48 hours. We just entered the most dangerous phase of the coming hot war with Russia and China, and no one is prepared for what's coming. Everyone but a few smart people are actually ignoring it. The media would rather distract you with new COVID variants and masking concerns at your children's school. COVID cases are on the rise across the nation and in our area, which means something many of us thought we'd seen the last of is back. Businesses, hospitals, even colleges, including one in our area, reinstated mask mandates. Yeah, those are important stories, but they're missing the most important story in the world, and they're all ignoring it right now. Look at Drudge today, for crying out loud. Look at CNN, top story about Burning Man. What about Fox News? Nope, it's all about DeSantis. But don't fall for it. It's all a misdirection. Look over here while President Biden is caught taking millions of dollars from foreign companies. Look over here while Americans are losing their jobs. And new data this morning shows 61% of Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck. Credit card debt, the highest it's ever been. And inflation is going to run hot for years. And new data out on Friday shows unemployment shot up. Experts finally saying the wheels are finally coming off this labor market. Expect many big companies to start laying off a lot of people. And let me know in the comments below if you know anyone who's already been facing layoffs. They are coming. So what's a good way to distract from a crumbling economy if you're President Biden heading into an election season? Start a war with Russia. Wag the dog. Did you ask for a war with Russia? No, neither did I. But you're about to get one. And my friend Tucker Carlson just exposed the entire plan. So once you start indicting your political opponents, you know that you have to win or else they're going to indict you if they win, right? Right. And so they can't lose. They will do anything to win. So how do they do that? They're not going to do COVID again. I know everyone on the right is afraid they're going to do COVID and mask mandate. They're not going to do that. They can't do that. If they've already been exposed, that won't work. There's going to be, no, what are they going to do? They're going to go to war with Russia. That's what they're going to do. There will be a hot war between the United States and Russia in the next year. And really? On the, of, yes, of course. They want it anyway. A hot war with Russia. Remember, we're at war with Russia already, but we're doing it through a proxy, using Ukrainians to fight the war, sending them billions of dollars in weapons. More than 400,000 Ukrainians are now dead. More than 2.5 million are permanently disabled. So we're using Ukraine until we can't use them anymore. When all of their men are dead, then we'll have to send our own troops. And it's all part of the plan, which Congressman Adam Schiff explained. We fight Russia over there, so we don't have to fight them here in Washington, D.C. The United States aids Ukraine and her people so that we can fight Russia over there and we don't have to fight Russia here. Now, Tucker only exposed one big piece of this plan, which is the Russian piece. The other piece is the economic side, which we'll get into in a second. But first, on the Russian side, something happened this week that almost no one covered. We covered it on our show, but it was radio silence in most of the mainstream media. The Biden administration quietly laying out a plan to make it impossible for any future president to keep us out of a hot war with Russia. By the way, Russia has already said that this will lead to direct war with their military, and China is standing by, ready to jump in. So according to the Wall Street Journal, what the Biden administration did is astonishing. They introduced a plan to permanently fund Ukraine's proxy war against Russia, and the structure would make it impossible for a future president to undo the plan. Think of it like Obamacare, but on steroids. Everyone, including a Republican president and a Republican Congress, tried to unravel Obamacare, but they couldn't do it. The structure is virtually permanent. The same is true of this plan for Ukraine. So what is the likelihood that in the next few months we are involved in a nuclear war with Russia? Colonel Tony Schaefer says 80%. 
And he agrees with Tucker on this. And he says, we are headed for a nuclear war with Mother Russia. Do you share Tucker's view on it? Um, the answer is, it's very likely. I put it at the 80% likelihood. Vladimir Putin, who is not bluffing, he is doing what he believes is necessary to protect the Russian Empire, the Russian Republic. It is what it is. And George, uh, the West, England and the United States in particular, don't seem to be listening to him. He's been very clear about what he's trying to achieve. Well, Russia is not bluffing. They've now put their nuclear arsenal on the highest alert possible for the first time ever. Quoting now, the nuclear-capable Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile system was previously touted by President Putin as being capable of hitting any target on Earth and is widely believed to be by far the longest-range missile in Russia's arsenal. And it's been nicknamed by NATO the Satan II. Nice name, Satan II. The timing of all of this is on purpose, of course. Putin is not bluffing. This was 40... Something else that's not ending soon. The pandemic. Thanks to the multiple new variants of COVID-19. Reports say a new COVID-19 variant is spreading quickly in the UK. It goes by the name of Eris. How fast is this variant spreading and how lethal is it? Our next report explores. A new COVID variant is on the prowl. It goes by the name of Eris or EG 5.1 and accounts for 1 in 10 COVID cases in the UK. When was this variant discovered? How fast is it spreading? And how lethal is it? Let's find out. To start with, when was this variant discovered? Well, Eris was initially identified as a COVID variant only on 31st July. It was discovered to be a sub-variant of the Omicron strain. UK's health security agency said it was spreading at a rapid pace. How rapid? What is the transmissibility rate of the variant? Well, not many details are available about the transmission rate of Eris. But if we go by the surge in COVID cases and hospital admissions in the UK, they indicate that sitting back calmly won't really help. Just like other COVID variants, this one too is likely to infect many. According to reports, in the week beginning July 10th, approximately 11.8 of UK sequences were identified as Eris. The data from August indicates that this figure has climbed to a worrisome 14.6% of all cases. What about symptoms? Are we seeing a change in symptoms? Not really. So far, there have been no reports of new symptoms. Experts say Eris 2 has inherited the symptoms of previous strains, like runny nose, headache, fatigue, sneezing and sore throat. And the most important question of them all, what is driving the surge in cases? The first reason is bad weather. Due to the heat, many people are staying indoors. And due to less air circulation inside the homes, people are ending up catching respiratory infections easily. In some cases, these infections make them more susceptible to catching COVID-19. The second reason is the waning immunity from COVID vaccines. Experts say taking COVID vaccines and booster shots can strengthen immunity in people. And in case you're down with it, be isolated. Get tested and maintain proper hygiene. Bureau Report, Beyond World is One. You heard from the minister of DRC. What's wrong with your country? Well, we don't 
even start by saying the king of Belgium created a slave colony for 30 years. The government of Belgium ran the slave colony for another 40 years. The CIA assassinated your first popular leader, Mr. Lumumba. And then... I'm a king. Yes, I'm a king. a world food system. It's based on large multinational companies, very, very low measure of international transfers to help poor people, sometimes none at all. It's based on regard to the environment, and it's based on a radar. It's interesting, we ask, we heard from the minister of DRC, well, it was a wide-ranging speech by President Macron. He also spoke of what he called a weakening Europe on the world stage. Have a listen. I believe that the international context is becoming more complicated and that there is a risk of a weakening of the West, and more particularly of our Europe. Firstly, there's a dilution of our population and our produced wealth of our share in the world trade. This has become even more true since the crisis of 2008 to 2010 and as a result of the emergence of major international powers. Well, listening to that with me was Douglas Herbert, our foreign affairs commentator. And Doug, so Macron there speaking about sort of anti-Western sentiment being on the rise. And he actually had a warning, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely does. Uh, well, the warning is the weakening of both the European, the Western model, and more specifically the European mm. model within the sort of international order that's being upended. What he said is not in and of itself shocking. It's not stop the presses stuff. Uh, you know, we, we know that there has been disinformation, there has been trolling, there has been populism, there has been the rise of regional powers that oh, haven't always been forged in the same as you would see a democratic mold as a lot of the Western democracies, upon which the international order, at least in the post-war period has been based. What he attributes this dividing, this, as you will, balkanization of the world into, into several poles is the war, war, Russia's war against Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine and, and the waging of the war against Ukraine, um, which has really forced a lot of the world, especially a lot of the uh, developing and poorer countries in the world uh, that are more dependent on Russia into uh, a more subservient position with respect to Russia. Uh, they can't really afford to condemn Russia's stance with Ukraine. They don't have the luxury, you might argue, to uh, stand up against Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, in the same way that more developed, richer, more prosperous Western democracies, the US and Europe, can do. So there's that on the, on the one hand, but then there's also this, like I said, this division, the Southern versus the Northern world, and this this rise, as Macron would put it, of real resentment, anti-Western resentment. Now, that resentment might be, as he said, real or imagined or based on the manipulation by leaders with their own interests. There have been a lot of pooches across Africa, but you really what's indisputable is there has been the rise of this anti-Western sentiment, both in Africa, many countries in Africa, also in Asia. And it is striking and it is more virulent than it has been perhaps in more recent uh, decades. He says this resentment is going to be a danger 
going ahead, along with, as you said, the rise of these new powers. Saudi Arabia, he didn't mention it by name, prime among them, exerting its influence on the world stage. Another country not exactly known for its staunch defense of human rights and democratic models, at least not as the West perceives them. So these are all challenges for Macron, to use a very mild word, but as he would say, a danger is perhaps, that's the warning, the danger of stark divisions as you have going ahead, uh, these very differing models uh, of governance. And when we think about these kinds of divisions, Doug, is it fair to say that we see them within Europe as well, perhaps even within France? What's fascinating right now playing out in France is sort of a, a, a mini polemic, uh, you know, of what Macron was saying. Uh, former president here, uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, mm. gave an interview in the past couple of days to uh, a, a newspaper, Le Figaro, a mainstream newspaper, and the TF1, which is a private a TV station, which he basically said that any hopes that Ukraine has of getting Crimea back are completely illusory. He said Ukraine shouldn't even tender and any, entertain any notions of joining NATO uh, or the European Union. Um, and basically saying that, you know, Russia must remain, is and must remain a friend. And what's interesting here, this isn't some, you know, African, uh, the, uh, a junta leader in some African country saying this, who resents Macron and resents colonialism and all of that. This is a former French president who you might not say, yes, Europe has remained solid and united uh, in supporting Ukraine up until this point. But the fact that a former French president, and not far right, just a right wing conservative French president, Nicolas Sarkozy, it very much resonates with the types of stuff we're hearing on the fringe in Germany with the Alternative for Germany movement in Italy, where, yes, the prime minister, Giorgio Maloney, has been supportive of Ukraine and has gone along with the European solidarity in favor of Ukraine, but is still the far right movement where a lot of the voices there are very much have a lot of sympathies with Russia. And right here in France, not just the far right, Far left, too. Those age-old historical traditional sympathies for Russia remain. And very briefly, Doug, has there been a response from Ukraine to all of this? Well, Ukraine's trying to lock in uh, some sort of support going down the road. It knows what it's up against. It sees this hardening of Western opinion and perhaps a tapering of Russian solid of Western solidarity with Ukraine. It's trying, it's seeking perhaps an Israel-style agreement with the United States for aid. What does that mean? In a nutshell, it means that it wouldn't be a NATO member, right? Israel's not a NATO member, but it's someone who is, it's a country that has uh, been able to rely on deep and solid cooperation and military and aid from the United States to the tunes of tens of billions of dollars over a decade uh, in, in recent years. So regardless of who's president, regardless of what the political line is in the U.S., if it had that Israel-style aid relationship with the U.S., the hope would be Ukraine would be locked in now and in the future uh, in terms of support from a key, key ally, perhaps its most important one. Really interesting analysis. Thanks very much indeed. Douglas Herbert. When you think of war, you think about loss of life. When you think about war, you think about loss of comfortability. And black people are comfortable in America. It's easy for you to go to your light switch and turn your light on and the lights come on. It's easy for you to sit down on your toilet, relieve yourself and flush the toilet and the water comes and takes your waste away. It's easy for us to be able to have those amenities that our enemy supplies to us. So we're very comfortable. War is going to take removing that comfortability and learning how to exist without needing our enemy. And that's not going to be very easy. So I think that the loss of comfortability, the loss of life, because everybody's not going to be able to be a soldier. We're going to need scribes. We're going to need people that tend to our men. We're going to need people that tend to our children. So we're going to need a lot of things that incorporate it. When people think about war, they only think about soldiers. 
but it takes a lot more. Feel this, then you know what I'm talking about. 